Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We are your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. Today, I'm going to tell you about the murder of 24-year-old Colleen Ritzer. So pour yourselves a strong cup of fire department coffee, and let's dive in. I want to preface this case with saying it is quite a violent one, and it's got some stuff in it that is a little bit more intense than some of the other cases we cover. Um, So I just want to preface that up front. It's not against, no crimes against a child, but the nature of the crime is really aggressive and pretty brutal. On October 22nd, 2013, well, kind of October 23rd. It was a little bit after midnight. Police officers were driving down a highway in Danvers, Massachusetts, and they were looking for 14-year-old Philip Chisholm. He had not returned home that day from attending school at Danvers High School, and his mom had called the police to report him missing. He had just recently moved to the area with his mom from Clarksville, Tennessee. He was a freshman there and he was on the soccer team. And like I said, he just didn't come home. So his mom was concerned. So police, the police officer goes up to him and they notice he's carrying a backpack. And when they search the backpack, they find a bloody box cutter and also some other possessions. And those possessions belong to 24-year-old Colleen Ritzer. Philip had Colleen's credit card and also a pair of her underwear in his backpack. When officers asked where the blood came from that was on the box cutter, he just said, the girl. That's suspicious. Very, very suspicious. And what was even more suspicious is that Colleen had also been reported missing that evening by her family. And there was a connection. So Colleen, as I said, was 24. And she was um, a really well known teacher at Danvers High School. She was a math teacher. She was well liked. Students really liked her. She was good at her job. She had everything going for her, basically. And she'd even stay after school to help tutor people who were struggling with um, the material that she was teaching. When you said that she was 24 and he was 14, my first thought was that he, she was probably a teacher at the school or at the very least like a student teacher. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, she was, I mean, she was actually Philip's ninth grade algebra teacher. And that day she had asked him to stay after class. He had his last period of class with her. And so he'd stayed after um, to speak with her about, about the class, basically. And... There was another student present in the classroom and they reported to police that she was calling was just talking to Philip. And at some point she had said something about Tennessee and that Philip became visibly upset and she kind of caught on to this and tried to change the topic. And eventually their conversation ended and he was in the classroom still. Apparently, according to the same student, he was still kind of like talking to himself and acting a little strange. This is... Not one of the first cases where we've seen that, where like all these people see somebody like talking to themselves and acting strange. Mm-hmm. And it's 
It seemingly came kind of out of nowhere is when she started talking about Tennessee. He started acting weird when she mentioned Tennessee for a specific reason. So Philip had just moved from Tennessee with his mom where he had been living with his mom and dad. So they were going through a divorce and there are apparently some reports of abuse from the father towards Philip as well. It was noted that he wasn't taking it well. He was not transitioning from this move and the divorce and he was, he was struggling with it. As any kid would at that age. Correct. Regardless of like physical abuse or not. I mean, when your parents get divorced at that age, I feel like that's, that can be very traumatizing and tragic for a 14-year-old boy. And it's interesting that you're saying it like this. I agree. And I want you to hold on to this thought. Okay. You know, okay. Hold on to it. it. And I'm just curious to see where this goes. Well, I was also, I wanted to add to that. It sounds like, because she moved, they moved from Tennessee to Massachusetts, and it sounds like the father stayed probably in Tennessee. So mm-hmm. he's a 14-year-old boy who is now going to school in another state without his dad. And I feel like 14 is a prime age for a boy to want, like, to need their dad in their life. I guess potentially you could look at it that way. So shortly after, Colleen leaves the classroom to go to the restroom, and we pick up some stuff on the video surveillance cameras in the school, which are actually working. We have what? footage. I know. Crazy. We never see that in cases, but the footage, footage? is working. <laughs> yes. Okay. And so I'm going to take you guys through what we see through the video surveillance. So what we see is Colleen walk out of her classroom and down the hallway towards the bathroom. And this is around 2.54 p.m. And then basically right after, Philip goes into the hallway goes back in the classroom and then comes back out. And when he comes back out, he now has his hood up and he goes into the women's bathroom and you can see him putting gloves on as he's going in. Wait, he went into the women's restroom, came out and then went back in? Or no, came out of the in, men's? He went back into the classroom, then came back out with the hood on. Oh, came out of the class. Okay, okay. Sorry. And then at 3.07... You see him leave the women's restroom, still with the hood over his head. He then goes outside to the student parking lot and then came back into the building a couple minutes later wearing a white t-shirt. So he had changed. Really quick question. Did the like school not notice that a kid just exited the building? I feel like, I mean, and I don't know maybe they don't i felt like our high school had like something where a door opened like something dinged or like it told them in the office that a door was opening and they could see on the camera correct we had when we were in high school we had a buzzer to go in and out however i i don't know what their system was i don't think i'm assuming it wasn't a buzz back in but even if it was i mean if they just see him leaving and coming back in like yeah we had a buzzer but if it was a student they kind of just let you in yeah and I, I don't know, that I was mean, just, it stood out to me because I was like, they just let him walk out <laughs> and then come back in in the middle of the day. Well, it's after school it ended. Oh, what time does school get out? I said he had to stay after the, his last period class yeah. to talk with her. I guess I didn't realize that 2.54 was like after the last period. I thought this was still during school for some reason. So when he goes back in, he goes into the um, classroom again and then comes back out. We're within a few minute period at this point, and he's now got on a red hooded sweatshirt, and then he goes into the bathroom. 
Again, the women's restroom he came out of earlier that we saw Colleen go into. And he comes out of the bathroom with a recycling bin. So, a couple comments. One, where does he keep getting these clothes from? He got a red sweatshirt out of the classroom again. Mm-hmm. And, and it's an algebra room, so I'm assuming they don't just have clothes hanging around in there, but I guess. And then, two... I'm assuming during this point in time, we don't see Colleen exit the bathroom at all. We just see him walking. Correct. Okay. So we see him. He goes back in the classroom. He has a hooded sweatshirt on, hood up now. And he goes with into the bathroom with the recycling bin, comes back out with the recycling bin. And now the um, when he comes back out, the sweatshirt's gone. He's back in the white t-shirt he was originally in. And he has a black mask on. And then he goes in the elevator and then goes outside of the school. I don't want to know what's in that trash can or recycling can. <sighs> yeah. I, I don't want you to tell me. So, Well, it's weird, too, because later on, there's video that picks him up going back into the school at four. And then he and this is like 40 minutes later from exiting the school. And then he comes back out. And he's now wearing a black shirt and glasses and carrying a pair of jeans. Then he goes into the bathroom again and then leaves again. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. So how did he get all of these clothes? That's what I want to know. He just brought a trunk of clothing to school (laughs) so no well yes not a trunk but he did leave that morning and brought with him multiple sets of clothes gloves a box cutter and a ski mask so he was definitely planning something yeah there i mean that's not a normal group of things to just take in your book bag to school that's what i always had in my book bag So here's what actually happened during that time frame that we caught on surveillance. Philip had, and disclaimer, this is where it gets a little graphic. I won't go into too many details, but it's rough. Philip followed Colleen to the bathroom. And as we saw on the camera, he was putting gloves on his hands and he pulled out his box cutter and he attacked her from behind and slashed her throat 16 times and then sexually assaulted her. At some point during this, actually, another student had walked into the bathroom, but I'd just seen Philip, like, he saw clothes on the floor and Philip pulling up his pants and he just, like, quickly thought he saw someone changing and then walked back out. He didn't realize or process what was going on. He thought it was just, he walked in on someone changing and was like, oh, you know, let me go back out of here. But what had happened is Philip left after he did this. And you can actually see in the surveillance video when he leaves the restroom for the first time that his hand has blood all over it. And then when he returned in a change of clothes, he brought in a green recycling bin and um, put her Colleen into this bin. 
He rolled her outside to a nearby wooded area where police do think that she was still somewhat alive, like barely alive, but holding on. And then he mutilated her body more by putting a tree branch up inside of her and then ended up posing her body in a sexually violating way. Um, He had had her shirt pulled up and her legs spread and and then left a note on the crime scene that said, I hate you all. And then he took her credit card and actually went and bought food and a movie ticket at a local theater. So I know that was rough. And um, let me, before Erica comes back in with comments, I'm just going to wrap up kind of what happens. And then there is like, a discussion that I'm curious to have about this case for a couple reasons. So it was a pretty cut and dry case. He clearly was guilty. He did plead not guilty and went to trial, but he was sentenced to life in prison with parole eligibility in 25 years. He had been convicted of first degree murder and was imposed a sentence of 40 years plus one day for rape and 40 years plus one day for armed robbery. And then these services were served concurrently. So he would be able to apply for parole at the age of 54. And he would, to do this, would need to prove that he would not, you know, be a danger to society. In in like the statement that the judge gave, he mentioned that Philip, he said, quote, did not start life on third base, end quote. He, uh, the judge talked about the abuse and the, abandonment and the divorce and even though it didn't justify philip's actions that maybe there was some reason to it and so i have a couple like questions i am curious to discuss with erica um one of those being first off i will say massachusetts had a law that um involved trying youth or people that weren't considered adults technically by through their age but it said that if anyone who is 14 or older is charged with murder they will be tried as an adult in criminal court and so he was arraigned and tried in adult court okay so you always hear people say if you want to make adult choices then you need to deal with adult consequences And I believe that. And I think that if you feel like you should murder somebody to the point and you actually carry out a brutal murder, then I think that you should probably probably be tried as an adult, no matter your age. I do think that, which I'm assuming that potentially he went to, like, when he went to prison, he would have gone to, like, a juvenile prison and then gone to an older prison maybe well either so, way i feel like in until you're 18 you probably shouldn't be going to a prison with inmates over the age of 18 but i think that you should be tried and sentenced the same way that anybody else would for committing a murder right well and it's interesting that you mentioned that he was held in like a, a youth facility awaiting trial while he was there he attacked someone else. There was a um, 29-year-old woman that worked there. And while he was being held there, he waited for a 29-year-old woman to walk into a locker room, actually took off his shoes and stepped and walked into the room so he wouldn't make noise and get heard. 
He pushed, he slammed her against the wall and like choked her and stabbed her with a pencil and hit her. And luckily a staff member heard it and rushed in and um, was able to save her. But he did get charged again with this, with attempted murder by strangulation and assault with attempt to murder, kidnapping and two counts of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon. I'm frustrated with Philip right now. Very frustrated with Philip. I also want to know why he keeps attacking women if his dad is the one that was abusive and he hates his dad, which that's a whole nother psychological thing that we can get into later. But I almost feel like, and I don't know that there's a specific age that I think a child, that an individual should be tried as an adult or a child. I just really feel like if you're going to commit an adult crime like that, then you should probably be tried as an adult. Now, I will never fully understand the criminal justice system in how they sentence murders and murderers because they, you know, he did this. And so he received the ability to be out on parole by 50 age 54, but there might be an adult who does it. And I say adult meaning somebody over the age of 18 that does it and they get 20 years or they get a lifetime in prison. There's never like anything that makes complete sense when really, I mean, a premeditated murder is a premeditated murder. And an uh, involuntary manslaughter is involuntary manslaughter. I mean, these are just, they are what they are. And so when we are, I, I never quite understand why there's just like some people, why there's such variations in what people get. The only thing I could see is with a young child under the age of 18, if it was something that was accidental, if it was something that was out of rage in that moment but if he brought everything to school there was absolutely premeditation and when there's premeditation put into something you know how serious it is and you know that that means they've they've actually thought about it enough to prepare for it most likely the night before if not longer than that and then he goes on to attack another individual while he's awaiting trial so at that point knowing that there's those two attacks 100 he should have been tried as an adult in my belief right and I agree. Like, I think there's so much to be said about the crime itself and the severity of it. Obviously, the premeditation, like you mentioned, and like this crime is like just a horrible one. There is an article I was reading um, where a professor of psych, a professor of psychiatry at Harvard actually is talking about this case. His name is Dr. Eugene Barrison. And he specializes in adolescent psychiatry. And he, he's talking about this case and says like, it's he says with quotes off the charts rare and that he's personally never seen anything like this in the hundreds of cases i've had in the thousands of cases i've supervised end quote he's talking about how at least what the knowledge he has there's like there's a missing connection of why he would have committed a crime like this he's talking about how most kids who commit um, crimes or violent acts have a history of this maybe some type of mood disorder abuse and neglect which we may have seen some abuse it comes up a little bit possibly from his father but in this case like there weren't any reported precursors to philip's attack that day like nothing had happened prior that had been at least reported or noted or documented 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It is an extremely brutal crime. And I know I touched on it for a second. Like, I don't know why he suddenly hated women. Unless that was something that he had picked up from his father, where his father hated women. And he decided that I've seen my dad abuse my mom. So we're supposed to hate women kind of thing. It's, it's interesting to me that that's where he decided to take out his anger. I I do find it interesting that we didn't, there is no like evidence of him doing anything violent like that in his past. Because to escalate from no violence to the amount of violence that we see in this case, I mean, think of like Ted Bundy and like some of the, the most well-known notorious serial killers who did awful, terrible things half of those weren't even as violent as what occurred in this school by a 14-year-old boy. And I'm just amazed that I I just don't understand. (laughs) Like, and I'll never understand. I know I'll never understand how a 14-year-old or any person could take the life of another individual and especially in such a brutal way. But it almost, like it almost breaks my heart that this is the path that he went down. Right. Well, and you know, What's interesting in its perspective, I was definitely curious to get from you because of, you know, your background in psychology. Do you think because like, there's obviously your brain is still developing for a while, especially at 14. Do you think that there is like a chance for rehabilitation in this scenario? I do think that there is always a chance for rehabilitation. Especially when we're looking at somebody that is that underdeveloped with their brain chemistry. I mean, this is, as we know, boys do tend to develop at an older age than females. So he probably wouldn't be fully developed until he's 24, 25 years old. He's still got about 10 years before he's fully developed. And so, yes, I do think that there's always a chance for rehabilitation. Do I think that jails and prisons and juvenile systems have the funding and the ability and the staff and the time to fully dedicate to rehabilitating individuals no and i think that if that was something that they had then i could see that a little bit more i think that him being eligible for parole at 54 is not terrible and don't hate me for saying this guys i don't think that it's terrible because he is 14 And yes, he is being tried as an adult. I do feel like he should be. Um, But we also see adults being released at 50 years old or at 60 years old for committing crimes like this. So I think that having the ability to be released, having the ability to try to be rehabilitated, it doesn't mean that he will be released at 54. It doesn't. I mean, if they don't feel like he can and if he continues to attack people or try to attack people or get into fights and stuff, then we won't see it. But I think with the amount of aggression that he had, it would be really hard for him to be able to like kind of keep that quiet and keep that to himself with over the next 40 years. I think that would be really hard to kind of keep that to yourself, like keep it all contained. Well, and something that really strikes me in this case, aside from obviously the aggression is the detachment from it. Like 
after the crime, first off, he just left a note that said, I hate you all. And then he just went and got food and went and saw a movie. Yeah, there, that's the other thing. There was no remorse in this case. I mean, no, absolutely none. There was premeditation and a complete lack of remorse. I, the way that he dis, disposed of and displayed the body, that there's no remorse in that at all. And um, I mean, the reason I was asking a lot about the rehabilitation is because like, I, I personally, I don't see it in this case. I think, I think there's a fine... I don't want to say fine line. There's definitely gray area, but I don't know how I feel about murder in general. But maybe if there's a young kid who commits like like shoots somebody, I don't know that that is on. I don't think it's on the same level as this. And I think the chance for a rehabilitation in that scenario is different. I also obviously there's differences and like robberies gone wrong and kids being caught up in gangs. But like, for example, um, in in terms of Philip's rehabilitation. Colleen's mom, Peggy, made a couple comments and, you know, my heart goes out to her. But one of the things she says is that, quote, he is pure evil and pure evil can never be rehabilitated, end quote. And, you know, she goes on to talk about how great of a woman Colleen was and how she matters. And because this is a case that brings up a lot of conversations about whether or not children or not legal adults should be sentenced to life in prison. And I think you have to consider the family of the victim as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I mean, like you said, if it's a kid that shoots somebody like on accident or just shoots somebody, like I think the premeditation really and the detail and the planning and then, you know, what they do afterwards. I think there's a lot of things that go into all of that, but to determine whether or not they should be tried as an adult. As for the rehabilitation, I I mean, my heart goes out to the family of the victims 100%. But if I'm being honest, my heart goes out to the family of the kid as well. I mean, I'm sure that's not what his mom planned for his life. Obviously, that was his choice and what he did. And I I 100% do not support anything that he did in this situation. I think that if you want to sentence him to life in prison for what he did, then all murder should be sentenced to life in prison. If you're, if we're gonna go that route, that like I was saying, you know, there's all the variations in the sentencing that people get when it comes to murder, and it never makes sense to me because we've covered some really brutal murders, and they're just like, meh, serve 20, 30 years, you're good, you can come out, and then there's others where it's just like, not to say a minor murder, but like a smaller extent of murder, I guess. And they receive life in prison. And I just don't, I don't understand it. And even if the rehabilitation exists in prison only and he's on parole for the rest of his life, I I don't know. I don't have the answer. And this is such, and I'm glad it's going this way. It's a conversation kind of about the, like, the criminal justice system in its own and how we go about um, sentencing people. And I do think it's so interesting because, like, I personally think that, and I've mentioned it in multiple episodes we've done, multiple cases. Like, I personally think if you seek out someone and sexually assault them, like, that is such an aggressive crime. And it gets, like, like you said, like, I don't know why it's so much lower than murder. Like, obviously, physically, they still have their life. But, like, if you seek out someone to do that to them, like, that is such an aggressive, like, and I would say a not remorseful crime. Absolutely. And, and 
we see people get as little as like two months to 10 years for sexual assaults and, and rape. And I'm like, what the hell? That's so, and that so easily can escalate. Yep. I agree. 100% agree. And I talked about it in one of our Patreon episodes recently. You know, our criminal justice system is not perfect and we will never be able to make it perfect. It's always going to have flaws. There's always going to be issues in it and there's never going to be necessarily the right answer. You might, you might send somebody to prison for life and then they end up turning their life around completely and being an amazing person and you might send somebody to 10 years in prison and they come out and turn into a serial killer like we just don't we don't know what people are going to do with their lives and really it's up to them yeah and you know like i mentioned this case is a brutal one and i just think it raises a lot of discussion about minors being tried as adults um, severity of crimes and some of the issues that we do see in the criminal justice system let us know what you guys think if you agree with some of the things Erica and I said, if you don't agree, we want to hear everyone's opinions. I know Erica and I's opinions don't always match up, especially on these topics. So I'm very curious to see what you guys have to say. So let us know in comments. You can always shoot us an email and we're happy to chat. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.